Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Using their gift, but you know what? I appreciate you guys just engaging and just giving it all to God. Amen. So hey, just and I just want to celebrate this. Well, that sounds bad. Well, hold on, wait till I say. Okay, so 21 days of prayer and fasting ends today. So, okay, you can keep going. It's okay. Uh, no, I just wanted to say that it's been a powerful, powerful time. If you had a chance to get online with us or come and be a part of that, um, we appreciate that. If you didn't, we know that you were praying at home, and and we hope that you engage in some capacity, whether it be prayer, or fasting, and. And our, our belief is that, you know, the Bible talks about the principle of the first, and whatever you give God the first of, it redeems the rest. And so that's why we bring the tithe, we give Him the first fruits first, and then our beginning of our year, so we gave Him the 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we believe it sets us up for the rest of the year, that this is going to be our best year yet. Amen? And so for you and your families and for the church, and so we're excited about what that means. So thank you so much for participating. I just, I just want to say that lunch today at Golden Corral. All right, this, those, yeah, okay. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so speaking of lunch, I want to let you know next week, the first Sunday of the month, we call Mission Sunday. We're going to back it up one week. So February 11th will be Mission Sunday. So you can be talking with your family, praying, and see how you guys want to invest above your tithe into missions. And then, of course, we have the lunch available for you. We thought it'd be good to move it back a week because next Sunday is actually Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, and I know a lot of you guys are just going to be heading out. You've got stuff cooking, barbecue, and you're going to be making wings, and, and you're going to be making brisket and queso. And if you're doing that, please leave your name and address and phone number with an usher. And the time I need to be there, all right? So uh, we just decided it'd be better to move it to next week, and our pit crew uh, that takes care of all that's going to, the chicken fajitas and all that kind of stuff, it's going to be a great lunch. So you know you go somewhere usually, instead of supporting a little restaurant, support the missions that we do around here. It makes a big difference. So plan on that on the 11th. Just want to let you know about that adjustment. Also, it is group link you saw, which means we're signing up for community groups. I think there's just a very few places, spots left. And so uh, you can see the Canyon Lake has one out there and uh, one of the New Braunfels one. If they're not already full, you can check that. You can always go online and then we're going to start uh, announcing our life groups. Uh, community groups are like nine to 12 months. So you can really dive in for a year with, a, with, with each other and really grow that way. Uh, Life groups are 9 to 12 weeks, and so it gives you just a little bit of a different uh, feel to that and so how that operates. So they're all great. Get involved in them if you get a chance to do that for sure. I uh, also want to let you know one other thing. Uh, that Love Song series is coming up. We're, kick- we're finishing our series today, and then we're kicking off a new one next month. The month of February, we always try and do a relationship series for obvious reasons. It's Valentine's Month and all that. And so uh, we're doing a love song, which we're doing. We're going through the Song of Solomon, uh, which is a, a great book, honestly. And having done the Daniel series, talking about compromise and being uncompromised in a world that's compromising, there's two areas I think that this world and culture compromises probably more than any other area. And that is in the area of sex and relationships and in the area of finances. And so we're going to take those next two series. So Love Song is through the book of Song of Solomon, where Solomon just talks about a lot of real practical, honest, open things about sex, dating, and marriage. And so uh, we're going to talk about that, as the Bible says, because you know that the world is talking about it all the time, and it has a perverted different view on it other than God's view. And so we need God's view, amen? And so some of it might be a little PG-13-ish, but that's the Bible, all right? And so the world's talking about it, so we shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. In the, in the biblical context in here. And so I just want to let you know that it's going to be a great series. And uh, I'm just turning a little red talking about that right now. But nothing what it will be like 
when we get into the series. In fact, uh, I just, you know, we're going to use words like, like I only use when I go to Chicken Express. Okay, just so you, you can figure that out. It'll hit you later. Uh, so it's in the scripture. So, okay. So anyway, so before I embarrass myself anymore. So the series, the guys are like, what? When is that? When's that series? <laughs> but uh, it's going to be great. So when we all know people ourselves, we need to get the biblical perspective and make sure because, again, the world has perverted things and twisted things. And so we need to see what God's saying about it. And he is. He established all that. So come on out. Bring somebody, you, 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 you know, with you. That's something we all could could use. Um, also, at the same time, we're kicking off our Married for Life group, meaning first service, so you can come and get engaged in that, involved in that um, for that month on a relationship series, and then you can come and sit in the main service and, and get fed that way. Our student ministries is doing the same thing, so we're trying to cover a lot of things here on the campus to really just tap into that dynamic for the month of February to really give us a lot of biblical wisdom and insight and, uh, out of the Word of God in that area, so it's something that's desperately needed. So, okay, so you ready for the Word today? Yeah, all right, Daniel, Daniel 6. This is our final installment of our series. I don't want to review a whole lot. Um, you can go ahead and turn to Daniel 6.1. You can go back, and the great thing is we have them on, we stream them, so we have them archived, so you can go back at any time and pull one up and watch it and listen to it again. Invite your friends, forward it to someone that can come see it and participate that way. And then if you're not able to be here on Sundays, maybe you're not feeling well. Oh, let me take a second for that. If you're not feeling well, you can always uh, log in and watch it live or go back and watch it again. I know there's a lot of stuff going around. We've said that the last couple of weeks. Let's just keep our faith out there. So I talked to a, a mom this morning that was just frustrated because one week her, one of her kids had, was sick and then this week the other one kind of got it, trying to keep it out of the house, all the rest of the family. My husband and I, we have to work, we have to take care of kids, and that's just, no one has time for sickness, and we don't need sickness anyways, because God never intended for us to have it. It's not ours, right? So if you would, let's just take a moment, and let's just extend our faith together and pray. Father, we thank you that you are Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals us. We thank you that Jesus bore stripes on his back, and the word says not to forget the benefit, Father God, of his broken and bruised body so we can have health and healing. And we declare in Jesus' name, we speak healing and wholeness over the bodies of the families of Tree of Life Church. We thank you, Father God, that they are healed. We just rebuke sickness. We rebuke anything, Father, that would try and come in into their homes, into their lives, and we say no harm shall befall us and no plague shall come nigh our dwellings. In the mighty name of Jesus, we declare it to be so in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right. Thanks. Let's have our faith out there. Amen. God's a healer. So in Daniel, we're wrapping up a series talking about how to live godly in an ungodly world, and we all would agree that this world is becoming more and more, drifting more and more away from the things and principles of God. Just turn on the news. And so we're looking at a time that I believe was kind of like this time. Daniel was a godly young man living in an ungodly culture, and culture was constantly trying to um, convert him or trying to get him to compromise his core, his belief system. And so some great principles in the book of Daniel that we learn about how to live our life today in the environment we live in. And so we've experienced that these last three weeks. And just real quick, in, in week one, the first thing we saw was culture will try and give you a new identity different than the God-given identity every single one of us has. And so they changed their Hebrew names that are God-given, God-exhorting names to Babylonian names, which are worldly and very secular, trying to re-identify them. So don't let the world, the culture, give you a new identity. Know who you are in Christ. Amen? So week two, we talked about one of our greatest tests or battles is worship. We're all made to be worshipers. We're worshiping something, meaning we're giving our affection and our attention somewhere. And it needs to be God first. 
And again, culture's trying to get us off of God into things, into people. And so we need to stay diligent in making sure that God gets the first, gets the best of what we have and not the leftovers. And so last week we talked about just having a life, living a life in balance and not getting uh, out of balance and, and having a Sabbath or a time that we can refresh and, re, and restore and replenish uh, you know, our, ourselves emotionally, spiritually, uh, even physically so we can walk out the things of God because the enemy's waiting for the most opportune time. And when you're the most stressed, the most stretched, the most fatigued, the most tired, that's when he comes in because that's when you make the, the worst decisions. And so uh, we talked about those things happening. And let me just say this, uh, the, the, those are the problems with our culture. Confusion over identity, confusion over attention and affection, and confusion over out of balance or out of order lives. So what is the answer? What's the answer? And let me tell you this, this this scenario is typically what we do. We'll do that as a family. If we see the world going one way, we'll pull away and we'll come in and we'll make sure that we're just taking care of our four and no more. Churches will even just make sure that, well, that's the world. The world can do what the world does. We're just going to come and we're just going to be who we are and let the world be who they are. And we're just going to hold on till Jesus comes and rescues us. And can I tell you, that's not God's plan. That's not God's plan. We're in the world, but not of the world, but we're not to hide and cower or just close our doors. We're supposed to be out being the answer to the problems of the world. God created us in a way and, and empowered us and equipped us that we can be the answer. In fact, we are the answer. And so we're not to retreat into our churches or into our lives and let others live their lives and hold on until Jesus comes. So what's the answer to culture? You are. So what happens when the answer runs and hides? Nothing. <laughs> But you are the answer. The church is the answer. You are the answer. You are God's plan. And it was always God's plan for a group of people to reflect his life, love, and power on the earth, not to retreat. And to do it in a way that wasn't weird, wasn't goofy, wasn't judgmental, wasn't mean, and wasn't unrelatable. God always intended for the church to be, let me say, God always intended for the church and for Christ followers to be the most attractive thing on the earth. And I'm not just talking about physical appearance. I'm talking about, I want to be a part of that. But unfortunately, I don't know that that's the reputation the church on the earth has today. It seems to be something that's very, um, uh, let's see, um, off-putting or very, you know, I mean, repelling or whatever. And it's because the church seemingly has become so judgmental and so argumentative over things. And we're missing the whole point of why we're here And so we need to understand how do we counteract the culture and be who God has intended us to be. Uh, We need to be the one that the world will see the qualities that we have. And so they will want what we have. Because if we're not different, why want it? Why have it? If we look like everything else, if we look like the world, then who's going to run to us for help? Who's going to come to us when they need something? Uh, So what do we do? Well, that's exactly what happened in Daniel's world. And so Daniel gives us some insight. Daniel 6, 1 through 5, here it goes. Uh, King Darius here uh, is another ruler. Daniel lived through four kings. And every time, interestingly enough, he was in a top leadership role. So it pleased King Darius to appoint 120 satraps, or really governors, to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them. So 120 ruling things with three people ruling them, one of whom was Daniel. Here's an interesting side note. Daniel was not a Persian or a Mede. Right now, the Persians and Medes had conquered the Babylonian Empire. King Darius is in power. He sets up his own form of government. And just as with every other king before him, Daniel was elevated. There's 120 governors over the land. 
three people over them, one of them being Daniel, who was Jewish. Can I tell you, that destroys the argument to get ahead, you have to be like everybody else. That destroys the argument that we have to, we have to conform to the things of the world to please man, to accomplish or be su- something or be successful in life. Because here's the guy that is a Jew in a Persian, Mede, Babylonian empire, and he's one of the top three rulers. Can I tell you, it's better to stand out than be like everybody else. Can I tell you, it's better to, be, uh, to stand for your convictions and stand for your values or your God-given values than compromise to be like the world for the sake of closing a deal, for the sake of somebody liking you or promotion. Can I tell you, God can promote you beyond this world system can, and he can take care of you. Uh, and, and let me just see this, because I feel this is the, the Lord for somebody here. The path of your success is not fitting in. However you want to measure success in life, it is by God first. And so right here in the story, it's no different. Daniel was one of the three. The satraps were there, uh, were made accountable to them uh, so that the king might not suffer loss. Daniel was so good that the king didn't suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself. There was something about Daniel that stood out. He so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps. So the other two guys, he was even distinguished himself from the other two rulers and then the governors. By his, how did he do that? By his exceptional qualities, because he followed the principles of God, because he was who God created him to be. His exceptional qualities distinguished him. That's a big deal for you and I. God has imparted things inside of us, a godly character and and godly values and godly morals, and we see so clearly instruction in scripture and principles and guardrails for life, that that's what will distinguish you above everybody else. Those exceptional qualities. And the king planned, listen to this, so much so that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. I mean, come on, that's awesome. And the Jewish guy is going to be over the whole Persian, Mede, and Babylonian empire because he was a man that followed God's plans and principles. Exceptional qualities. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel. All that would be said about our life and his conduct, the way he acted, lived his life of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for charges against Daniel unless it has something to do with his God, which is the, the way he serves as God, contrary to the law of the land again. Look at that through the filter of today. It's the same qualities and principles that will help you be distinguished or that will help you become who God's called you to be. And that's an important deal, to be that. Ephesians 3.10 says that the manifold wisdom of everything God is is to be made known through the church, that we are to make known God to this world, not to blend into this world. 2 Corinthians says God has made us his ambassadors as though we were making his appeal to the world through us. We're here to reflect the life, love, and power of God. God's hope to change this culture is you. His hope to change this culture is you. It's not legislation. It's not politics. It's not economics. It's not culture and pop culture and all these things. It's you. He has no plan B. We are the change agents of this world. We are supposed to be his representation. We're not supposed to blend in. We're not supposed to fly under the radar. Again, Daniel lived with four kings and in every one of their reigns, he had influence. And he didn't do it by fitting in. He did it by standing out. 
He has distinguished himself by exceptional qualities and was going to be put in charge of the whole kingdom. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what you know or what you think you know. If you don't have character, godly character, if you don't have godly integrity, if you're not trustworthy, you won't be put over anything. And I don't mean that hard, the truth in love, because we need to understand this so we can be who God's called us to be. But that's the reality. God wants to develop exceptional qualities in all of us, uh, not to be perfect. He's not asking for perfection, and he's not asking for super holiness, but he's asking us to live a life with godly character, integrity, honesty, and to be trustworthy. The world needs to be able to look at the church and find solutions for life. And this is how God wants to change the world here in Daniel. He wants to change the world through people with exceptional qualities. I mean, understand that. That what we're talking about, the principle today, exceptional qualities, is how Daniel changed his world. How he changed his culture. You know what, Pastor? We just need to pray. Let's extend another 21 days and just pray for this world to change. And can I tell you, all the prayer, that's important and powerful, extremely. But listen, unless we're willing to live that life, representing and reflecting the life, love, and power of God, which is what this world desperately needs, there's not going to be the change that we want and hope and pray for. But we have an expectation then to live it out, or God does. And so God, that's God's plan. So uh, listen, and I know, I know, here's the struggle, here's the pushback. We, I know we have issues. I have issues. You have issues. All God's children has issues. Right? And if you don't have issues, that's your, if you don't think you have issues, that's your issue. Okay. That was worth coming right there, right there. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. So we want to make a difference in this world. That's God's plan. Our motto here is we don't be a tree life to a lost and hurting world. So how do we do that? All right, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. Let's take a look. Here's how we do this. Now the Lord is the spirit. The spirit there is reflective of power. That's the word power. He's the power. And where the spirit or power of the Lord is, there's freedom to which we would all say, that's right. We just need to pray that God's power is released on this earth. We need to pray and believe that God's power is going forth. To which I would say this. Well, hold on a second. Let's look at the next verse. And we all, there it is. There's God's answer to the release of his power. His people walking in his power. We all, who's it talking about there? We all, and it says this, who with unfailed vases. That means that those people that have a relationship with God that now can see God for who he is. Because the veil's removed, if you will. The veil's been torn, the separation between God and man. And when we receive Christ, the Bible says the veil's been removed. And so it's talking to you and I that know Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. He wants his power to be reflected and released to this world and in today's culture through his people. Exceptional qualities in you and I. And it says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. And listen to this, and being transformed into his image. That means there's a process that we go through to be more like him. The salvation prayer unveiled your eyes, but now you're in a process to be more like him. Every day we should be more like God. Every day we should be looking at those exceptional qualities and applying them to our life so that we can reflect who he is. In fact, the Bible says when you do that and you go through that transforming process, it says that you're made into his, more into his image with ever increasing glory. His glory, his power comes on your life and increases as you look more like him. The more you look like him, the more the power and glory of God is reflected in your life. That's what he's talking about here. It goes on to say, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit and who is the power. So it's important for us to understand that. So if we're going to make a difference in this world, we have to be people of exceptional qualities. And these qualities are Christ-like. 
We're to look like Christ. The more we look like Christ, the more it will attract the world. See, it will attract, here's, here's, here's what, I don't know that we believe and understand this because of what the world said, but the more we look like Christ, the more attractive to the world we are, not the more repelling we are. It's true. It's all the other things, the judgment, the criticism, and you know, you're gonna go to hell or whatever, whatever, whatever that is, that turns the world. But Jesus doesn't turn them off. Jesus is love. And Jesus is serving. And Jesus is helping. And Jesus is caring. And Jesus is compassionate. And Jesus loves the unlovely and he accepts the unacceptable and he forgives the unforgivable. So it's not being Christ-like that, rege- that the world rejects. It's not displaying the exceptional qualities that God has imparted in each and every one of us and living Christ-like. That is the hope for the world. So if you're gonna look like him or if you're gonna look like God, then what does God look like? And so let's take a look at what I would consider one of the clearest pictures of the glory of God. We just said that, used that in this scripture. One of the clearest pictures of the glory of God or the face of God that we see in the scripture and it's in the book of Revelation so Revelation, it came to John through Jesus through a dream, the book of Revelation. And let me get, just for a few minutes, let me get a little teachy right here. I want to teach you this principle because I want you so to understand it and we'll get into practical application. And so you're going to, if you're, you're the one that's ready to, to swim a little bit more in the deep end of the pool, you're going to like this one a whole lot. But hang in there for a few minutes with me. I'm going to teach you something that will help us understand the practical application. So John sees the throne of heaven. He sees the throne and around the throne and what it looks like. And we'll see that he sees uh, what's described here as these creatures around the throne. Let me take a look. Let's take a look. Revelation 4, 6 through 7. Also in front of the throne, the throne of God, there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like, and here's what I want you to get. The first living creature was like a lion, had the face of a lion. The second had the face of an ox. The third, the face of a man. And the fourth was the face of a flying eagle. I want you to hold on to that because we're going to use those. That is the picture that John had around the throne of God. That's what God was expressing. That's who he was expressing outwardly. We see these four faces around the throne. Most scholars believe this to be an actual representation of what God expresses. Uh, Some scholars believe that the four faces correlate to the four gospels, which is interesting if you want to study further on that. Okay, so it gives us an image of what God looks like. And if we're supposed to look like him, then let's find out what these four faces mean or represent so we can look at our lives and see, do we reflect that or what do we need to do to reflect that? So Ezekiel the prophet saw the same thing. In Ezekiel, you take a look in Ezekiel 1.10, the prophet saw the same thing back in the Old Testament days as John did back when he wrote Revelation. It says this in Ezekiel 1.10, their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being, and on the right side, each had the face of a lion, and on the left, the face of an ox, and each also had the face of an eagle. The four things we see that John saw, rather, as we were looking at the scripture, John saw around the throne of God. The face of a man, face of a lion, face of an ox, face of an eagle. Let's take a look at what Ezekiel then said in verse 28. Here's what he says. This was the appearance, Ezekiel saying, what I saw, the face of a man, face of a lion, face of an eagle, face of an ox. He said, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And that's what John's saying. This is, the, this is what's being reflected around the throne in the glory of God. And then he said, when I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. So 
This is what we understand, I believe, to see what does that look like? What does that glory of the Lord around the throne, the face of God look like? And if we need to have some exceptional qualities, we need to understand what these are because we need to look like him. So let's take a look. Number one, the ox. The ox. The ox represents in scripture and here the face of a servant. Because that's what an ox is, isn't it? An ox, you tie the ox up and it goes and it plows your field. You, you, the ox pulls the heavy cart. The ox moves things. The ox does things. The ox prepares things, helps you prepare things. And even the ox was such a servant animal, if you will, that he was often killed as a sacrifice for other people's sins. Jesus was a servant. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And he gave himself as a sacrifice for other people's sins. Daniel was a servant. Daniel was so much of a servant that the king said he never suffered loss under Daniel and that he was going to appoint Daniel over the whole kingdom. That's the kind of servant he was. You need to know that the way to people's hearts is by serving them. The way to make a change for people is by serving people, serving others. Why do we serve? Because it's one of the faces of God. It's one of the things that we are here to reflect his glory on the earth, and it's being a servant. It's the heart of God. See, you want to help people, you want to help change culture, you want to help people find Jesus. It's not by yelling at him, pointing your finger, and accusing him. It's by serving them. We can serve people into heaven. We can serve to make a difference. It's one of the faces of God, putting others first. You need to have the face of a servant. That's the face of God. That's why it's important. We talk about it all the time. About serve. We're not asking to serve just to fill holes. We have holes, but we're making it happen. But it'll happen a whole lot better with you. But then you're fulfilling who you were called to be. Then you're operating in one of the faces of God. And so you don't just have to serve here. We'd like for you to serve here and serve in outreachers coming up in February and things of that sort, missions trips. But serve where you're at. Serve where you work. Serve where your, where your kids go to school. Serve where they play ball at. Serve in your neighborhood. But serve people. Why? Because it's one of the faces of God. And if we're going to make a difference, that we need to reflect who God is. 1 Corinthians 9.19 says this, though I am free, this is the Apostle Paul writing, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave or servant to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. I'm going to serve to win as many as possible. I don't have to. I'm free. I don't owe anybody this, but I'm going to do it to win as many as possible. I'm going to serve so as many people as possible can know God and go to heaven. God has the face of a servant. We're here to serve people to win as many as possible. Number two, man. Face of a man. Here, man is the only one here to capable of relationship. So man means relationship. It's the face of love. Man has the capacity for relationship over the others and the capacity, ability to express love. It's not about, let me say it this way. It's not about your doctrine. We're talking to people about Jesus. It's not about your doctrine. It's not a, about your belief system as much as it is about your love. Can I can tell you, we can, say, we can say one thing and then if we're not loving them, it doesn't really matter. And then we get in arguments and discussions, and we'll even, I've been there, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss things about God for hours, trying to convince, like the light bulb's going to come on, oh, I never thought of that point, that's a good point, I'm in. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. But man, when you love on them, as Jesus loves, and you open up their heart to the gospel. And so we have to understand that, that, that the heart of God is the face of God, one of the faces of God is love. See, people don't care what you know, they want to know that you care. And you're never going to argue or debate somebody into heaven. But man, we can love people into heaven. 
See, we sometimes deal with the issues. We want to jump on the issues of life with people and too soon maybe. We deal with those too soon. God doesn't want, God doesn't want us to talk about our issues all the time. He wants us to love. See, here's, what, here's what I understand. Here's what I believe. God loves you so much to save you and he loves you so much not to leave you the same. But he'll take you just as you are. And then you can work on the issues with God. But sometimes I think we put the issues before love. And that doesn't win anybody. It didn't win you. It didn't win me. And so a face of God is love. Let's take a look. John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you. This is so funny to me. If you understand the context of the scripture, the command has always been to love. But the church in this day wasn't doing that. The religious people following the, the religious people, they were so judgmental and so critical back in that day that nobody was loving anybody. There was no, so Jesus is like, hey, mean, critical, judgmental church. Hey, listen to me. Religious people, listen to me is what he's saying. Listen, okay, I'm going to give you a new command. <laughs> it's like this is what it always has been, but they weren't doing it. So he said, I'm going to give you a new command. You get it now? Just so you get it. Here's what we need to be doing. Love one another. How about we try this one? We've been doing it this way with all these religious things and judgmental things and high and mighty things for so long. How about we try something new? But it's something that has always been there, but they just weren't doing that. So he goes, let's try this. Here, try this one on. As I've loved you, so you love one another. By this love, everyone will know that you're my disciples, that they'll know you're a part of me, that you'll reflect me. If you want to change the world, we start by serving people and loving people. Number three, eagle, the face of an eagle is the face of respect. Let me say it this way, respect, dignity, honor. I don't know if you've ever seen a bald eagle. I think I've seen one in my life one time and it's impressive. I miss a bald eagle. I mean, it's impressive to see it. It's impressive when you watch videos of it. And it's like the eagle just effortlessly moves around and almost like it's king of the air. And just like, you're just in awe. People are in awe and it's such a rare thing to see a sighting and, and we celebrate that. And it's impressive. Why? Because it's so majestic and, the, and you can't help but just stop and watch. And it's no, no coincidence that it's the symbol of our freedom. It's, it's, you know, the symbol of America there. It's respect and dignity and honor. And the face of an eagle, I believe, speaks to the idea of our love, honor, and respect for God and how we should live our life. But I believe it speaks to this, that we live our life as people of respect, honor, and dignity, then the world will look at us and say, wow, that was impressive. I mean, right there with your kids, I mean, because most people's kids are going wild and crazy, but man, your kids, man, I'm impressed. Or your marriage, you know, how long you've been married, 20, 30, 40 years? You know what, no one stays married that long any, anymore. Man, I'm impressed, that's impressive. How'd you do that? You know how you handled that situation when they were speaking bad to you and stuff like that? Man, you just responded with such dignity. You didn't start arguing back. You didn't yell. You didn't get into railing for railing. You didn't call names. You didn't get caught up into that bad conversation and inappropriate things. Man, you just, you, man, I'm impressed. How'd you do that? Man, when, when we got a diagnosis like that one time and this happened to my family, we were just devastated. We were, but man, you seem to be okay and you're just talking positive. How do you do, I'm impressed with how you're managing that situation. See, the world needs to look at us and see something different. And see, if we have the face of God on that, the face of an eagle, and we know who we are in Christ, and we're serving God, and we're connecting with him, and we respond to situations out of honor, dignity, love, and respect to God and to other people, and we live our life in a way, the world looks at it and says, that's where I want to go for an answer. Because everybody else that's gone through that, man, that's been a disaster. I don't want to experience it that way, but you seem to have it different, so I want to find out what's working for you. 
That's kind of the picture there. We need to live our life in a world, in, in this world that represents the face of the eagle, or if you will, the face of respect. The face of God is that of an eagle. God wants us to live our life where the world looks at us and says, how did you do that? How do you live that way? How do you manage that? I need some help. I can't seem to figure this out. How did you make it through that? How do you make it through that? How does that not affect you like it affects me? It's excellence. That's another word I'd use, excellence. The face of an eagle. You live that way and people will seek you out when they're struggling. People will seek you out when they're hurting. People will seek you out when they're lost. It's the face of an eagle. It is how we change the world. Mark 7, 37 says this. People were overwhelmed with amazement. Speaking of Jesus, he has done everything well. He does it so well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Oh, let them say that about us. Let the world say that about us and the church. Not that we have it all figured out. Not that we're perfect. But we live a life of excellence and honor and dignity and respect. That we've done well. Matthew 5, 13 through 16 says this. You are the salt of the earth. But if that salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty? Have you ever made chicken? And it was bland. And you're like, oh, I need a little salt there. And we just say it this way. Salt makes things better. It does. It just makes things better. He's saying, we're here to make things better. We're here not to run and hide. We're here because of the exceptional qualities God's put in us to make things better. The world needs us to make things better. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and be trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. You know what light does? Light makes things better. We're here to make things better. Exceptional qualities make things better. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good what? Deeds. So they may see your good deeds. They see you doing good. You know what they see? They see your exceptional qualities. They see you serving. They see you loving. They see you responding with respect and dignity. That's what they see. And when you do that, and they will glorify your Father which is in heaven. Man, their lives will be changed. They'll say, I want some of that. I want some of your God. So serve, love, be respectful. And the last one, number four, lion. The face of a lion is the face of boldness. So here's what I would say to that. The church can't be silent. And the world tries to quiet the church. The world tries to quiet Christians. And let me say it this way. We can't be silent, but we can't be rude, arrogant either and mean. Right? But the world wants to say separation of church and state. Can I tell you, that's just a misinterpretation of what the founding fathers meant. But can I tell you, I am one of we, the people. And I'm a Christian. And I vote. And I don't have to stay silent. But I don't have to be rude, mean, ugly, judgmental, critical either. And so the biggest turnoff to church is church. The biggest turnoff to Christianity are Christians. But not those with exceptional qualities that look like Christ, operate like Daniel did. And so we can't be silent. We have to stand up for what we believe, and we can do that without being ugly, mean, rude, judgmental. And the world would like to tell us to be quiet, stay out of this, stay in your corner. But we don't have to do that. We can't do that. Proverbs 28.1 says this, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. 
Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. I don't need to fear anything or anyone. I don't need to apologize for who I am or what I believe. I don't need to back down from anything. I don't need to give in and compromise. I don't need to live that way. Jesus asked Peter in in an amazing exchange about who did men say that I am and they responded, some think you're one of the Old Testament prophets. And then God said, who do you, or Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Jesus said, you're the, you're the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and responded this way, Matthew 16, 17. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, on your understanding of who I am, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of the living God. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. Why not be bold when even hell itself cannot stop us? Why not be who we were created to be with exceptional qualities when even hell or the, the greatest fury or, or the greatest devils in hell, whatever, however you want to say that, cannot stop you? What are we hiding from? What are we sitting back and being passive for? What are we afraid of? Live with exceptional qualities. Back to Daniel. That's what distinguishes you. Not fitting in or blending in. Be who God's created you to be. So what do we do with all this? What, what, what we, how, how do we change? How, how do we respond to that? I'm going to give you two words. Grace and truth. It all is grace and truth. And those are interesting words, and we don't have time to study all that out, but, you know, we talk about grace, and I know there's a hyper-grace message out there that it doesn't matter what you do, grace covers it all, and we can live our life and live in sin, and it's not a a ticket to sin. I mean, we still need to live a godly life. And then the other side of that is truth, and people can go to extreme with truth and just try and just beat people down with the truth and convict or condemn with the truth, and we're supposed to speak the truth in love. And so we need to be people of grace and truth. And you don't really separate the two. Grace says we all need a second chance. Aren't you glad that God gave you a second chance? We all need a second chance. But truth says that I need to admit that I needed a second chance. The truth is I can't do this on my own. And grace says we are all sinners. All. Say all. 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 It's because to God, sin is sin. And you might say, well, I'm not sinning like that guy. (laughs) I mean, you know, gosh, that's terrible. (laughs) But in the scripture... It's we're all sinners. So the Bible says, we all need God's grace. And the truth says that we need to admit we need forgiveness because we sin. Daniel expressed and experienced both these. That's what helped distinguish him. Jesus had both these. Let's take a look at our last scripture, John 1, 14, talking about Jesus. And it says this, the word, capital W, meaning Jesus, Jesus is also referred to as the word. Jesus came to the earth in flesh and blood and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, who it is, who came from the father full of grace and truth. Jesus was the embodiment of grace and truth and he is our model and we are to reflect him. So here's what we need to know. We need grace because we all need a savior and truth because it's the only thing that can set people free. So we will learn to live our life 
walking in those exceptional qualities regardless of the world that we live in, not compromising to culture, but really following the word of God and making that our priority, making that what shapes us and directs our life and orders our steps, then we will see not only a change in our life, but the lives around about us. And this world, whether they realize it or not, desperately needs us to be people of exceptional qualities. That is the change of culture. Read all Daniel again. Through all the challenges and difficulties, the answer was living a life God's people living a life with exceptional qualities changes the culture. The culture doesn't have to change you. So that's our goal. Every head bowed, every eye closed. My heart, my hope this morning and through the course of this series was just to challenge us. Challenge us honestly in a way that there's grace. There's grace. There's no condemnation here, but there's grace. No conviction here except by the Holy Spirit perhaps. That we all need grace. None of us are perfect. None of us ever could be and we're thankful for grace. And then the truth is that we have the ability because of Christ inside of us to live our life in a way that does reflect the life, love, and power of God. And if we've made mistakes, we thank God for the grace, we repent, we get back on track, we get on, but we are to be people of exceptional qualities. That God has gifted us, equipped us with things in our heart and our lives, abilities, talents, gifts that we can use for his glory, his good, and God will take us further than we ever could on our own. But this world so desperately needs a church to reflect the life, love, and power of God. Those four faces, if we are honest with ourselves, then can we just look within ourselves and even ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what are we walking in, what are we not? How do we make the adjustment? Because if it's a face of God, then it needs to be our face as well. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.